This is Mark Miller, host of An Innovator's Journey to DevOps. An Innovator's Journey is a series of interviews profiling software development thought leaders and DevOps practitioners. We highlight real people, real stories, and real solutions for building modern software. Courtney Kistler considers communication, information sharing, and a passion for project measurement visibility as critical to any DevOps transformation. Her path to DevOps began on a whim when she switched degrees from accounting to computer science while at Eastern Washington University. After working at a few startups in Seattle, Courtney began working at Nordstrom's, staying for 14 years, holding multiple roles in the retail technology division. Early in 2016, she moved on to Starbucks, where she is now the Vice President of Retail Technology. In this innovator's journey to DevOps, I talk with Courtney about the beginnings of her career in technology, her introduction to the transformative processes of DevOps, and how working with the DevOps community has allowed her to implement those ideas at enterprise scale. My name is Courtney Kissler. I'm the VP of Retail Technology at Starbucks. Were you into technology as a child? No, I was not. I ended up getting into technology through where I went to college. So I actually went to Eastern Washington University, and I was going to be an accounting major. And as part of the honors program, because I got into the honors program there, they placed you with a job on campus. Hmm. And they tried to place you in the college where you were um, getting your degree, So I would have been in the business school, but they had so many people in the business school that they placed me in the computer science department. So my job was basically like filing and answering phones. And one day the dean came to me and he said, what would it take for you to change your major? And I said, I don't think I'd be very good at computer science. What did he see? Why would he ask? Um, Well, later he told me that he asked because he was trying to get more uh, diversity into the computer Mm -hmm. science program. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I think he was just being curious. He was like, what would it take for you to change your major? Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't really want to. I kind of like accounting. I feel like that's my, you know, path. And he said, well, let me propose something. You'll take a basic programming class and we'll pay you to go. It'll be part of your job. Um, You'll just have to grade papers, and if you get better than a 3.0, I want you to consider it. So I got a 3.3, and he circled back, and he's like, saw that you got better than a 3.0. Will you change majors? And I said again, I said, I don't know. I mean, the class was fine. I don't think this is for me. And he had already went and did research and figured out how to move all of my credits so that I didn't skip a beat and get a Bachelor of Science in Computer Information Systems with a minor in Computer Science, and I'd switched. It's amazing that you would be, he would have you that focused on his radar. I know, it was crazy. And we stayed in touch. My very first job in Seattle was at a startup company, and Small World, like one of the engineers in the company, had married his daughter. I ended up like staying connected with him, up until he actually passed away last year. So yeah, isn't that crazy? Uh, yeah. 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 
So the transition from college, from arbitrarily being moved into computer science, yep. immediately into the workforce? Yes. So one of the great things about that degree is your senior year, you did an internship at like within your um, field. Mm -hmm. So I actually had a job before I graduated. Yeah. I had a full-time job as a tech. Mm -hmm. And then the startup craziness was happening. Like where, dot you, where were we? Oh, so I was in Spokane. That was like 96. Oh, when the internet was just first starting to become recognized as this is going to happen. Yes. And so I packed up and moved to the other side of the mountains um, to Seattle. Got a job at a startup. And uh, I was a security software kind of engineer. And I was there for two years. And then I went to another startup that was more, um, it started out as talk radio on the internet. And then it became like streaming. So companies would use um, basically our uh, network and stream live meetings. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I was there for a couple years. Both of those startups actually went under. I was part uh, of the skeleton crew. Now you're about when everything started to fade. Yeah. Yep. I ended up getting a job at Nordstrom. And so I started there as a security engineer and navigated through ops, um, held a variety of um, leadership positions. My very first one was the website operations team. Mm -hmm. Wanted to get closer to the customer. So I ended up taking on some dev roles and then eventually ended up in a role where I had um, full stack the customer-facing engineering teams. So digital, in-store, um, payments, loyalty, personalization. What got me into DevOps was in 2011, we as an organization decided that we needed to be more relevant in the digital space. So we had a ton of stores. Our stores were like our biggest um, component of growth. We realized that we needed to be um, investing more in the website and our mobile apps. Up until that point, we were optimized for cost. It was all about efficiencies, lots of shared services. and. When you look back at that period, were developers talking to ops yet, or was it throwing it over the wall period? Throwing it over the wall. So lots of silos. I felt like I had this really unique perspective because I had sat in both seats. And mm -hmm. so I was trying to help bridge the... Um, silos and helping both sides uh, practice empathy. It's like, well, if you just, if you spent some time with the ops team and you mm -hmm. understood what they were going through, then maybe you would, um, you'd be able to relate and kind of vice versa, right? It's like on the ops side, come see the pressure that these dev teams are under. Let's figure out how maybe we can work together. It's interesting because 2011 is when the transition to developers talking to ops really started to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've reached that inflection point now. And now we're trying to get security into yes. that. Are you dealing with that? Yes, absolutely. So we've had a lot of conversations about you know how do we um, embed security, best practices, mm -hmm. and engineering into the teams. It's one of the bigger challenges. It's like you're... It's Especially, seen as a robot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the, the redheaded stepchild. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, but it's so important. Mm -hmm. And when you have, um, you know, you're protecting a brand and you've got a lot of, um, you know, transactions and things going through the system, it's, it's critical. But figuring out, like, how can you do that in the most effective way? 
Because we used to joke at Nordstrom, we're like, well, we could just close all, we could just lock all the stores, like never let anybody in. That'd be really secure, but we're not going to do that. So it's like, how do you have a balance and figure out? I actually had an opportunity at Nordstrom to lead an effort that we called Be Secure. So we were held to PCI compliance because every retailer is. And we we're like, why are we just keep chasing it? Why don't we be more proactive? So we invested in like tokenization. We invested in um, a bunch of different mechanisms for protecting data both at rest and in transit. It was like, it, it shifted the whole audit conversation because we were protecting all the data or if we didn't need it, we just got rid of it. Yeah. So it was a really good, I think a good way to go about it. Do you remember the first time you heard about DevOps? Did mm -hmm. it make an impression on you? Absolutely. So there were two engineers in the organization that were pretty embedded in the DevOps community already. They knew Gene, uh, John Allspa, mm -hmm. and one of them came to me and said, I need to introduce you to John. Like, he's really great. He's a thought leader in this space. Um, you know, we're trying to do some of this uh, DevOps type stuff, and I think you can learn a lot from him. So I got introduced to John. And he really helped me with how do you how do you create the burning platform? Because like we already knew that we needed to be relevant in digital, but people were still stuck in the old way of doing work. It's like, well, yeah, we'll we'll dump more money on it, but we didn't change how we got work done. So he really helped me with like what tactics can I use to get people on board? And that's when I really started to get involved in value stream mapping because we had so much um, emotion in the discussion. And it was like, how do we make it visible so that people can see that there's a lot of waste in the value stream? Mm -hmm. And so I got really lucky because there was a senior director on my team who had come into the organization like eight years prior and was really trying to implement lean techniques and the organization just wasn't ready for it. So he had taken a role in our innovation lab and led that for a few years mm -hmm. where they were doing design thinking and all of these things that were really relevant in the DevOps community. So he came over and led the customer mobile team and essentially just went and asked a bunch of questions and then turned around and showed the team their value stream map. Basically what he uncovered is we were releasing twice a year in the digital space. And it's like, that is not gonna get us where we need to go. But it helped everybody rally around it and see it and say, oh my gosh, we gotta fix that. And it took all the emotion out. And then we really started organizing differently and investing differently. And Gene came on site and did um, one of those reality trees with us. Yep. Everybody read the Phoenix Project. We passed that out and everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people read it. It, it is a foundation for this community. Yes, yeah. And I remember reading the goal when it first came mm -hmm. out and it changed my mind shift so I understand what's happening to the community through that book. Why did that message resonate? Did people recognize themselves as a character in the book? Yes. What was the how did it resonate? Yeah, so people recognized themselves they recognized others. Mm -hmm. And so it gave us this um, common way to talk about it. 
So you can talk about rent instead of the geek over in the corner. Yep, exactly. <laughs> the one thing, so I'm so excited about the handbook coming out mm -hmm. because I think the one thing that the Phoenix Project left people with like, okay, so now how do I fix it? Like I understand, you know, Eric's role and I understand kind of how they got to a better place, but it still felt, I think, for most people, um, almost unachievable. Mm -hmm. Like, where do I start and how do I even start to think about it? And we had done this, like, we're going to do agile. We're going to stop being a waterfall shop. We're going to do agile. But people didn't really know what that meant. And so we had a lot of um, people just checking the box. We took the value stream mapping exercise to a couple more teams and picked teams that were practicing um, waterfall and agile so we could show that lean applies to everything because we had this um, skepticism in the organization that, well, lean is just another variation of agile. So we had to figure out how to help people see that it applied to any methodology and any technical stack too. So we had, oh, that only works for digital. No, it works for our mainframe application. It works for our restaurant POS. Using the value stream mapping exercise helped us with telling that story. And then all along, I just continued to get external inspiration. I went down to Velocity so I could meet John in person got more exposure to, you know, John Willis and Damon Edwards and Jez and Nicole. I'm trying to think timeline-wise. So I went to Velocity, I think it was 2013, and then Gene started this, the DevOps Enterprise mm -hmm. Summit. I got invited to speak, and that exposed me to even more people. So the Target folks started doing a, a lot of sharing. Story. Wonderful yes. story. And so we, like, that relationship has been um, an ongoing uh, learning opportunity. Jason Cox from Disney, like, I've spent a lot of time with him. Is there an overlap? You, you've talked about three completely disparate companies, mm -hmm. but there's 80% foundation, right? That's yes. These guys are together. So you find so many similarities in um, culture. Like, right at the fundamental, you know, everything is about the culture. Grassroots versus having senior leadership support. So I would say both Target and Nordstrom, things started more at a grassroots level. And then when senior leadership support came in, it really opened up the floodgates. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of, lots of sharing. I continue to stay connected to John. And he helped me all along the way. Like every time I'd get stuck, I could give him a call and say, all right, I need your help. When you think back so far on what you've accomplished, what's the one thing that you say, I'm really proud of that? I think I would go back to that customer mobile story because we were able to go from twice a year releasing to essentially technology was not the constraint for delivering value. We could do on-demand mm -hmm. releases. And it took a lot of heavy lifting, and it was, um, you know, there were leadership challenges, there were organizational challenges, there were technical challenges, because we didn't have a lot of automation yet. But once we got to the place where we could deliver on demand, it was so powerful. Well, that comes back to the business objective then. What business objective did you align with mm -hmm. so that you could pro provide the financial 
Maybe yes. That's her doing it. Yeah. So I had a business partner who had product management and UX and voice of customer. And so she and I aligned on, okay, what outcomes are we trying to achieve? We really, you know, we had varying dimensions in that digital space. So it was about um, driving demand, CSAT. So we watched customer satisfaction and we were always looking to make sure that we had good scores, our app reviews. So how are we doing Mm -hmm. in the app store? Reliability. So how often is the app crashing? I'm not hearing any finance in there, though. I think that's the hard one for people to justify. You say when you're going to bring it into the company, the bean counter is going to say, okay, show me how this is going to help our business. Yes, yep. Um, It was one of the first times in my career at Nordstrom where everything was transparent. We put all the metrics on the table Mm. because we had a really high concentration of contractors in the team. And it was a pretty um, efficient organization, but we weren't driving value. So we started tracking. It's like, okay, how many, how many contractors do we have? How many uh, doers? Because we had a lot more people coordinating the work mm-hmm. than actually doing the work, mm-hmm. but we made it visible. And we started tracking our crash reports. We started um, looking at our app reviews. So there was power in that because even though the numbers were not where we wanted them to be, it created this platform for people to have the conversation. And then we said, okay, well, what's our target? If we're currently, you know, we've got 70% contractors and 30% employees, we want to flip that. And then we just kept putting that in front of the leadership team. It's like, well, we didn't make as much progress this month. We got to continue to invest. We ended up doing some really unique things with, um, we actually worked with Pivotal. We did like paired programming, Mm -hmm. accelerated learning, so we could get engineers, um, you know, the time to productivity, basically. What stood in your way when you're trying to do this? There's always roadblocks. Yeah. Um, I would say financial, for sure. Um, because we had been so dependent on offshore Mm -hmm. and using that model. So cost went up for a little while, Um, but then it came back down and quality went up and value went up. So we had to continue to uh, just maintain that momentum, like be persistent, but also work with those folks that were not totally bought in and just say, I understand that we haven't gotten to where we need to, but we will. Mm-hmm. And, and if we don't, we'll have a different conversation. But I think the fact that we had all that data and we just continued to meet and say, all right, by next month, we expect the cost to come down. And then if it doesn't, then we can talk about what we need to do differently. So incremental change yeah. on a monthly basis where you're reporting back. Good. Yep, yep, that helped. When you're thinking about the coming year, when I come and talk to you again next year at the mm-hmm. conference, what do you hope to have accomplished? Yeah, that's a great question. We just recently restructured the team. Okay. Um, and so what I'm hoping is I'm going to be able to show results from the changes that we just made. So we're taking more of a product slash value stream approach to team structure. 
I anticipate, because it's what I saw in my past, that we will get better outcomes. Now, we're going to measure it. I was going to say, what are yeah. the measured outcomes you're looking for? We know our cycle time and our lead time. Okay. So we want to continue to bring that down. We have metrics around automation and quality. I want to continue to see those go in the right direction. Um, we have work to do. You mentioned security earlier. So how do we embed that more and then measure that we're actually getting better? We're getting more telemetry just across the board so that we can see what is the health of the POS. How do we know before a store calls us? Um, so I think seeing um, progress in that as well, because we're kind of in the early stages of making that visible. A lot of the conversation here with me and you is around visibility. It sounds critical the way you're talking about it. I haven't heard that argument yet. It is. So I have passion around making all work visible. So figuring out how to um, truly understand all the work that's going on within my team. And the way I talk to the team about it, because they often say, well, that's going to be really hard because our work is mostly invisible. And I try to help them see that if we can make it visible, then we can make decisions about are we working on the right things and how much of your capacity is going to um, what we might call non-value add. So lots of manual work. Well, maybe we can automate that, and then it frees you up to do more innovative work. Visibility of the work, applying whip limits, because the team is, you know, there's way too much work going on at any given point in time. Are you using Kanban boards? Yes. Yep. Um, so we use Kanban, and, and then also attributing the work so that it's tied to strategic outcomes. So our CTO has been really great about framing up what our strategy is and what we should be focused on and then that gets cascaded to the teams mm -hmm. so all of our work should either tie to one of those or to an operational outcome so we should be either driving speed of service or the availability of pos but there should always be something that the team can see and know that the work they're doing is driving that outcome does culture play a part in the role of the transition for what you're trying to do? Absolutely. So the good part about Starbucks is the value system is already like extremely aligned with the DevOps community. It's all about people. It's about transparency. It's about, um, I think the line is, uh, performance driven through the lens of humanity. And it is exactly how that company is operates. Is that coming from the top? Yep. Howard starts with Howard, and then it cascades to the whole leadership team. That makes my life a lot easier because the value system sure. exists. It's been part of the organization for 30 years. The challenge is oh. how do you continue to evolve the working model against yeah. the value system. So it's the practices, I would say, more than anything. So helping the team see doing work differently will benefit them, and it will make us better as an organization. So there's a lot of, I think the thing I said I needed help with is, how are leaders 
not only teaching themselves how to lead in this new context, but also getting their talent ready for that as well. And how do you know kind of what's coming next? So, you know, I had the luxury of having access to John and Jean and all these folks that kind of helped me see it. But how do you do that at scale? So, like, I brought one of my frontline managers here because she's super curious. Like, she wants here to does. At, yeah. get to the DevOps Enterprise Summit. She's been um, driving the value stream mapping exercise. She's recognized that it's going to be different for her in this new context. So she wants to learn as much as she can. She'll help me because she'll be a role model mm -hmm. because she's been at the organization a long time. Because I think sometimes when you come in new, there can be this like, okay, well, is this your agenda? But it's like, no, this is where the industry's going. So if I can get more of my leaders to get excited about it and then demonstrate those behaviors, then I think the team comes along with it and then the collective organization comes along with it. A topic that keeps coming up because we're moving so quickly into this, I think it's reached the tipping point here where we've reached the point of inflection has happened. And the word dinosaurs is starting to come up more and more often. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's challenging. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I'm, when I was at Nordstrom, you know, I was there 14 years, I was getting labeled as someone who, you know, had been at the company a really long time. And it's like, can you change? And are you too insular? And figuring out how to demonstrate that you can stay current, even if you're at an organization a long time. For me, that was really about I would introduce other folks in the organization to the DevOps community. It's like, let's bring Adrian Cockcroft in. Let's have him talk about engineering. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, let's, let's get that influence. We've got these people who are trailblazing, but they're very, very open to sharing what they've learned. Let's take advantage of that. So I think similar at Starbucks, I've started to introduce folks to um, the Phoenix Project and now the DevOps Handbook. Mm -hmm. You know, John Willis has offered to come in and talk to my team about the industry and like where things are going. Gene hasn't yet because I think he's been a little busy, but I bet he would as well. And it's like mm -hmm. Nicole Forsgren, she's been really active with me and trying to help the team transform. So hopefully, I think the combination of the value system, the external perspective, and then leaders who are already super curious about operating in a new way, I think like that whole ecosystem will help uh, accelerate the adoption. You have been listening to An Innovator's Journey to DevOps. Today's broadcast was produced by Mark Miller with support from Shannon King, Jessica Dodson, and Derek Weeks. To hear the entire series of interviews, go to sonotype.com and choose Innovators. We'll see you next time as we continue our exploration of real people, real stories, and real solutions for building modern software. And finally, 
thanks to George Cole and his quintet for taking us home with a little gypsy jazz. Take it home, George.